The Vision app is the best place to find a growing range of on-demand audio for the whole family. Your kids or grandkids can listen to the popular radio drama Adventures in Odyssey and two-minute Bible stories called Quick Sticks whenever it suits you. Whether you're in the car for a few minutes or for a longer trip, these two programs will keep the kids entertained. New episodes are added every weekday in the free Vision Christian Media app. If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher, with a straight-talking message from the Word. God says, stop looking at the wrong mirrors and see your life like I see it. There is something special and miraculous inside you. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks so much for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. Last time, Pastor Jeff started looking at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. It's to help us deal with the shame we can feel from being separated from God. Let's continue the rest of his message now. We're in John chapter 4. This is Today with Jeff Vines. There's a type of shame that is an accurate mirror. I'm saying to you that you've got to make a decision to deal with both types. The second kind of shame is concern where you're involved in some activity right now that you know is shameful and that that mirror you're looking in is a reflection of what is true If you try to ignore it and you do so long enough, it will kill you. It will destroy any hope you have of any future relationship, any future progression, and you will live a life of sarcasm and contempt and negativity and no one will want to be around you because you'll know down deep inside who you really are. And if you don't love yourself, nobody else can love you. So you got to deal with it. Simon Weisenthal in the book, Sunflower, talks about the story of how he lost 89 of his family members in the Holocaust. 89. So his children aren't going to have any grandparents, aunts, uncles. And he says, near the end of the war, as a Jewish male, he was taken into a German makeshift hospital. True story written in Sunflower. Read the book. Great book. And he said, they escorted him into a hospital room where a German soldier was in a bed, all bandaged up, wounded, and his days, matter of fact, hours were numbered. He was dying. But the German soldier demanded to see a Jewish male. Weisenthal said they escorted him in. He didn't know what was happening. Back then, if you got taken anywhere, it could mean death. It could mean the end. He was seated in this chair beside this hospital bed, and this German soldier reached over and grabbed him by the arm. And he said, I wanted to see you Because the shame and guilt inside is so bad. Death, physically, I can handle. But I can't handle the shame and the guilt. And he recounted the story of taking an entire village of women and children, Jewish, 
locking them in the community center and burning it down and listening to their screams as they were dying in agony. And he says, it haunts my dreams. And I just wonder if on behalf of all Jews, you would issue in forgiveness. Would you forgive me for what I did on behalf of all Jewish men and women? And Weisenthal said, no, I can't do it. Psychologists tell us something very interesting. They say so pervasive and deep-seated are the ramifications of shame and guilt that some in professional counseling call guilt the cornerstone of all neurosis. Do you know what that means? It means that most of our psychological, emotional problems can be traced back to undealt with shame or guilt. So here's what I want to do. I want to deal with both. The answer's short. I know some of you believe that you don't have what it takes. You're fearful of life. You're fearful of the future. You weren't affirmed. You're not being affirmed now, even now. Some of you guys in college, you're terrified of what the future holds. You've lost your confidence. You're scared to death what's going to happen tomorrow. And just let me say, by the way, some of you right now are saying to yourself, well, Jeff Sermon sure isn't hitting me tonight. My goodness, my parents told me I was better than sliced bread. Well, good for you. But you're the exception, not the rule. So why don't you pray during this time for people who struggle, who would give anything to be affirmed. And that sense of shame that they live with is so debilitating. They don't know about tomorrow, about next year, and they're scared to death. And I'm going to tell you, you got to deal with it. And Jesus is going to show you how. And there's a second group though. There is the second group of shame. And here's who you are. You're the guy or the girl that's going to walk out of here after that service to a stash you've got hidden in the car or at home. And you're going to take it. And you know it's destroying you. And the guilt and shame will come again. You're going to tell yourself just one more time. Just one more time. You're the guy or the girl that's going to go home tonight when everybody's in bed and the lights are off. You're going to sneak to the computer and you're going to look at pornography. And you know it's ripping you apart. The shame and the guilt will come. By the way, if the shame doesn't come, then I'm really concerned because where shame stops, atrocities are committed. Then you go way off in the never-never land. So if the shame is already passed, you better turn back to God now. But you're going to tell yourself tonight, one more time, this will be the last time you're going to meet her somewhere on Tuesday or him somewhere on Wednesday night, away from your wife and kids, away from your husband and children. And you're going to meet her or you're going to meet him. And you're going to say, just one more time, just one more time. You're going to take what doesn't belong to you. Some of you are in business and you're saying, God understands the economy's tough. I have to embezzle. I have to take a little bit out of the till. I have to engage in this business deal that is unethical. But this is the last time. I'll get enough money in the bank one more time. And some of you in the room, heaven forbid, you're gonna leave here tonight, some of you guys, and you're gonna beat your wife. You're gonna hit your wife. You're gonna hit your kids. And you're gonna tell them that's the last time. But they're not gonna believe you because you've said that a thousand times. And the guilt and the shame will come, but you'll do it again. I don't know what it is some of you have been married for a while and you've given up, but not because of adultery, not because of any wrongdoing. You're just don't want to be married anymore. So you're giving up, giving up on your vows, giving up the promises you've made. And your excuse is 
that God wants you to be happy. Doesn't God want your husband or wife to be happy? Is it just you? I don't know what it is, but I can tell you this. The Holy Spirit brought it to your mind as I was speaking these last 90 seconds. It may be gossip. It may be slander. It may be your unwillingness to forgive, which is the core of Christianity. And the shame and guilt are there. And you've got to deal with both. And here's how you deal with the first. And then the second, and it's over. Listen to me. Young ladies, for those of you who weren't affirmed, and young guys too, and you're wondering if you have what it takes, and you've lost your confidence, you're scared about tomorrow, you don't know what's going to happen, you think that you're worthless, you think that you're not valuable, you think that you don't deserve anything better than you got right now, and your whole life is going to be resigned to mediocrity, listen. If God could have a face-to-face with you, and some of you women who are a little older now and you think you're not beautiful because you keep listening to the wrong mirrors and watching the wrong reflections, here's what God would do. I'll tell you right now. God would take your head in his hands and he would move in and he would say, look at me, what do you see? No, no, move closer. What do you see? And you would say, I see myself. Because that's what happens when you get really close to somebody in the apple or the pupil of their eye, you see a reflection of yourself. God would say to you, this is the only mirror you can trust. The only reflection about who you are comes from how I see you, which is what David said in Psalm 17. Keep me, not make me, keep me. I've already been as the apple of your eye. Guard me under the shadow of your wings. It's a little Hebrew idiom that refers to the little man you see or the little woman when you get close to somebody. David said, keep me so close, God, that I would see me like you see me. And God would say to every single one of you this. He would say, I made you. You're the way you are. Jeremiah 1.5, I put you together. Are you saying I did a poor job? Every little detail about you I made. Psalm 139, you are wonderfully made. Every intricate detail about you, I knitted together. I put it together. And God would then take you by the arms and pull you on in and say, listen, you're happy. You're emotional. When you saw that little 10-year-old girl do opera, but I'm telling you, you think that's beautiful. You've got something just as miraculously beautiful inside you. And if you will move closer, you will see what I see. You'll discover what it is and you'll live life and you'll have the spiritual waters flowing in and up and around you. Vitality, health, purity, cleansed, purpose. And God says, stop looking at the wrong mirrors and see your life like I see it. There is something special and miraculous inside you. And if you'll draw close, you'll find it. Folks, I'm telling you, God says, I'm not going to force it on you, but if you'll come inside and you'll come closer, there's something beautiful. And I think God would pull you in a little closer then. And he would say, you have my permission. He, He would say, he would look you and say, your mother was wrong. Now be careful how you take that. Little kids, I'm not talking about your mom's. I'm talking about moms that are 35, 40, mature, 
whose moms are still critical. I think God would give you the permission. Next time you go and visit your mom or your dad or your brothers or sisters, don't listen to them. See yourself how I see you. As a matter of fact, I think God would say, you have my permission next time you go visit your mother or your father and they start this critical spirit and how you can never do anything right and how you're worthless and how you'll never amount to anything. God would say, you have my permission to do something very, very mature. You can put your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 I'm not listening. (laughs) My mom never got this. My mom was a believer. She loved the Lord. She really did, but she never got it because her mom was a disaster. And her mom and dad only passed down what they knew to pass down, what was done to them. So you got to break the cycle. But don't believe the mirrors. Now, you understand why people use shame, right? Because it is the most powerful motivator. People shame you and devalue you because they want to press you down and control and manipulate you to do what they want you to do. No more powerful a motivator than shame. And it helps them keep their attention off their own frailties and their feelings of insecurity. Every year when I take my kids to Disneyland, there is one in the family that doesn't like roller coasters. So as soon as we enter in, I'll make a plan to avoid the roller coasters on behalf and for the sake of this one member of the family. And so we go to Disneyland, but it doesn't take too long to somebody in the family start saying, let's go to the roller coasters. And the other members of the family, first of all, use what I call re, uh, uh, rational persuasion. They'll say something like this. Hey, you can go on the roller coaster. No one's died as far as we know on this ride before. Rational persuasion. You'll be safe. Then you move from that, if that doesn't work, to encouragement. Hey, go on this ride. And you'll feel all good about yourself and proud of yourself when you're done. If that doesn't work, you move to bribery. Oh man, we'll give you five bucks if you just come on the doggone roller coaster. But then that doesn't work either. And then you know what we move into? The area is powerful persuasion technique. Shame. It's where all the other members of the family say to this other member, look at these little five-year-old kids. You don't see them running out of line, do you? They're going to ride the roller coaster. What's wrong with you? You scared? shame. And you know what the message is, right? The message is, if you can't handle this, there must be something wrong with you. And then they'll say, now you can choose not to write it if you want. And we won't completely emotionally detach from you, but we'll always remember this was the day when you were, well, chicken, right? That's how it goes. Finally, after I've had enough, I say, all right, kids, I'll go on the stinking Mad Hatter's teacup ride with all of you. Just back off. Shame, a powerful motivator, even for dad. I'm saying to you that if you will learn to see yourself as the apple of God's eye and that there's something beautiful inside you that he made and you run to him, you will be able to discount all the mirrors a false perception in the past, know your identity. And when you know God is for you, with you, and has a great plan, and the grand designer is weaving his cord of life through you, you'll take on the world. You'll take it on. But there's the second part of shame now, and it's much shorter, and it's the end. How do you deal with the shame of when you know you're doing something that's destructive, that's destroying you right now? What do you do? 
When I was 17 years old, I got pulled over by a policeman. And I had taken Miss Night Effort uh, after church and dropped her home. I had a curfew, but I had stopped and talked to a few of my friends and had a Mountain Dew, this and that. And then I realized I was going to be late. And you, you just don't let miss curfew when you have a father like mine. It's going to be trouble. So I was speeding. And the ultimate form of shame, obviously, you look in the rearview mirror and there are the blue lights. And this is my first time being pulled over, so you know you're nervous. So I take my little Starfire GT yellow car with the black stripes. Boy, I was big stuff then. And I pull over and the cop comes walking. Now, my dad had taught me, if you ever get pulled over by a policeman, just admit your guilt. Don't try to rationalize. Don't try to deny guilt by innocence. Just simply admit you're guilty. But he didn't explain a lot more than that. So I don't think he told me the right thing because even before the policeman got up to my car, I had my head out the window. I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. I don't think that's quite what he meant, but I didn't know that. And of course, to make matters worse, I had a, a Mountain Dew in my lap and it was in a certain color glass that looked a lot like something else, right? Beer. So here I am holding this thing up. I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. And the cop comes over and he says, well, that's interesting. Don't you wanna know why I pulled you over? You know, I'm thinking, great, all the cops in Elizabeth and I get Columbo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and then it dawned on me, maybe, maybe I can get out of this. Maybe I didn't do anything. Maybe he didn't catch me speeding. So I say, well, I'm just coming back from church and I'm a pastor. Well, I'm kind of, I was preaching and I was preaching when I was young. I had my crisis of faith later, but I was preaching when I was young. And he said, well, do you have anything to substantiate that? And I had some cassette tapes in the car of some sermons that my mom had uh, gotten from the church after I'd preached and she was collecting them. Now, I didn't know at the time that she actually wasn't collecting them for the sermons, that she was using the tapes to tape her favorite music over so she didn't have to buy cassette tapes. And, that the, and the first song on the first cassette was, I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy. And so I was going to obviously give him this as proof that I am a pastor. <laughs> he says, I said, I'm guilty. He says, what are you guilty of? I said, officer, I know, I know. And then it dawned on me. Uh, well, you know, I was speaking theologically. You know, we're all guilty of something. And I was trying to backpack, you know, we're all guilty. That wasn't working either. Then he looked, in, he looked through and he said, just give me your license, son. I gave him the license. He goes back to the police car and I'm thinking, oh man, this is bad. This is really bad. Man, I, I'm, I'm late. My dad's gonna get me. And now I'm gonna go home with a ticket. Oh man, this is horrible. It must have only been five or 10 minutes. It seemed like an eternity. He came running back over, looked in the window, and he said, are you Dean Vine's boy? Now, I was at a dilemma at that point. I wasn't sure why he was asking. Was he asking because he wanted to call dad and then all these police were gonna circle my car and it was doomsday? Why? But I thought, hey, you know what? It's best just to tell the truth. So I said, yes. He said, he looked again, backed up a little bit. He said, are you Dean Vine's boy? Uh, yes, sir. I am Dean Vine's boy. He looked at me and he said, well, why didn't you say so? Well, he didn't ask me. <laughs> he said, just go, go on home. No, just go on home. I said, excuse me? He said, you're Dean Vine's boy. I said, yeah. He said, go on home and tell Dino I said, hello, we'll catch some lunch next week. Okay. <laughs> and now I knew I had it made because I went and told dad that I was late because a policeman stopped me who wanted to get a message to him or I would have been on time. <laughs> I'm not saying that God is schizo. He's not, but he does have two sides. He does. When you feel shame, he sent it because he wants to protect you. He wants to tell you to stop now, please stop. And I think he would take those of you who are involved in something that's destroying you 
And he would take your head in his hands and he would say, Jeff, don't do this anymore. You're grieving me. I'm, I'm saddened by it because you're destroying yourself and I love you. And don't quench it. Because if you quench the fire of shame, there may come a time when you can't sense shame and that'll lead to nothing but disaster. So strike while the iron's hot and stop. But you know what, Jeff? I know you're guilty and I know you have shame, but you're my boy. I've adopted you in and your elder brother died for you and your sins have been forgiven. So go ahead, go home to dad. It's okay, forgiven. If you will bring whatever it is, whatever shame it is, whether it's the shame of not believing that you have what it takes and you will bring it to the foot of the cross and God will speak to your heart and there will be a river of water welling up within you. When the woman understands Jesus, here's what, this is amazing. John 4, 28. So the woman left her water pot. Now she doesn't even care about water and went into the city and said to the men, now she doesn't go to the women. She goes right to the men. Come see a man who told me all things that I've ever done. This is not the Christ, is it? Now there's no question like this in the Greek. It's rhetorical. She's saying, this is the Christ, isn't it? Do you see what she's saying? She goes to the men and she goes, I've met the Messiah. He talked to me. That's right. He talked to me one-on-one, face-to-face. And he knew all the sin and garbage in my life. He still talked to me. Even asked me for a drink. She knew what it meant. Internal transformation. I'm forgiven. I'm clean. Peace. God loves me. All is forgiven. And I'm telling you, that you can have that same river of living water flow in you if you'll just bring your shame to the foot of the cross. Father, we are grateful indeed for your power, for your love. And we are thankful that through your word, we learn that we are valuable, that there is something beautiful inside us, that if we stay close to you, we will see the only mirror that we can fully trust. If we see ourselves the way you see us, fearfully and wonderfully made, that the grand weaver is weaving a cord of hope and of significance and of beauty through our lives to bring us to this place where we are and there's something grandiose that you want to do with each and every one of us. I pray that we would see ourselves the way you see us, that we are the apple of your eye. And for those who are engaged in activities that are destroying them, I pray they'd have the courage tonight to bring it to the cross, ask for forgiveness, and ask you to show them the way forward, that they might stop what it is that they're doing so that they might live, truly live again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us again on Today with Jeff Vines. And hopefully this message has moved you to act or to draw closer to God. And that is good news. We've got more to come in this series. Our next message is looking at a life without prayer. And as we peel back these layers, he would say to you, do you know what you're missing because of a life that is void of prayer?
Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.